Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Life's greatest victories and worst failures are often the result of personal choices. Let me say that again, guys. See, because the bell went off and that was just like perfect timing. Life's greatest victories and life's worst failures are often the result of our personal choices. Here's what I want you to think about. In, in these momentous decisions, the choice we're going to make, what we're going to do, who we're going to marry, the job we're going to take, in any of these choices, guys, it does reveal one thing. You go, Pastor, what does it reveal? It reveals where you have, where, where, where your trust is placed. You go, I'm not sure what you mean. Well, in the choices you make, you either trust yourself in that decision or you trust God. You trust God. Let's talk for a moment, if you will, about putting your trust in yourself, right? According to God's word, right, there are significant consequences that result from us choosing our own way instead of God's way. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 3.19. He says, for the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. The wisdom of the world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. You go, pastor, explain that. Well, here's what it means. You are guaranteed foolishness when you choose your own natural wisdom above the wisdom of God. You guys tracking with me? You can give me an amen if you are. You go, what happens? Well, When we choose our own natural wisdom above the wisdom of God, it often leads us to confusion at times. Sometimes it leads us to anger. Oftentimes when we ignore God's ways, our thoughts, and and instead we choose our own ways. Well, Well, what's the result, Pastor? Well, if you're taking note, you can jot this down. Spiritual ignorance does dominate the life of unbelievers. You go, well, I'm not sure what you mean. When we choose our way over God's way, it's often a result of spiritual ignorance and it often accompanies a lot of unbelievers. You go, oh, who? Well, this is a person who does not have eternal life through faith in Christ. An unbeliever is unable to understand the things of God. 1 Corinthians 2.13 says it like this. He writes, when we tell you these things, speaking of spiritual things, he says, we don't use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's word to explain spiritual truths. An unbeliever. But a believer, right, which he speaks of us, he says, a believer, on the other hand, when we choose to follow the wisdom of God, he says, now now you have divine resources and divine truth. You have the Holy Spirit himself teaching you and guiding you. You have the word of God, which is our guideline to life. And as a result, he says, your choices, well, they're going to be often made in God's ways. If you choose to hear The voice of Jesus, when he speaks, he's going to speak wonderful wisdom of God in your life. And what will happen is he will ultimately set you free. Choices. Well, today, we see a group of 
Pharisees, a group of men who unfortunately are still blinded by the light. They're still blinded, and instead of receiving the truth of God, they are, in fact, going to argue with God himself. If you're taking note, you can see on your bulletin, I'm calling this message, listen, it's are you in the way or in the way? Are you in the way? Now, let me preface by saying this, okay? Early on in Christianity, you are not called a Christian. As a matter of fact, if someone looked at you and said, you are a Christian, it was a derogatory term. You are a Christ follower. You are Christ-like. They used to call themselves the way. Hey, are you part of the way? You're not supposed to answer. I think he said Yahweh. Or are you in the way? Are you in the way? I'll never forget, you know, uh, my grandpa, you know, my grandpa had a third grade education. And me and my cousin got to ride with him one day, and, and, and grandpa was, he made us laugh so hard because one day me and my cousin were riding, I think I must have been about seven or eight, and he were driving this old truck, right, and he's going down the little dirt road that gets to his house, and there were some kids playing on the road, and he sticks his head out the window, and he says, hey, get away from the way, and we laughed so hard because they were in the way, right? Now, we, were, we grew up in the city, he didn't, but he, anyway... So I'm calling this message, are you in the way, or are you in the way? See, because the Pharisees today, guys, they're in the way. As a matter of fact, you know that Jesus says, guys, not only, not only are you barring the way to heaven, not only are you standing, but you're, you're, you're keeping people from getting out. You're in the way of the truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that. And we're going to see that Today, guys, if you're taking note, they're actually going to stand on four statements that they're hoping brings eternal security. Now, let me say this first and foremost. Where is our eternal security? Our eternal security in the fact that when we take our final breath, that we're going to be with Jesus rests on Jesus. They're seeing it a little bit different. And they're going to, they're going to stand on four statements, and I'm going to show you those statements. Number one. They're going to stand on religion and heritage. How so? Their first statement is, we are Abraham's descendants. The second one is, they're going to come up in the midst of that statement and say, we have never been in bondage. We've never been in bondage. How can you say that we're not free? The third thing they're going to say is they're going to go back to Abraham and they say, Abraham is our father. And then the last statement they're going to try to hold on to is an attack against Jesus where they say, we were not born in fornication. Meaning, meaning, we've done everything right. We're self-righteous. We're okay. We don't need you, Jesus. Again, if you're taking note, they're going to say, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage. Abraham is our father. And we are not born in fornication. Now, remember where we left off. You go, where was that, Pastor? Jesus is teaching in the temple 
And just a few short hours earlier, the Feast of Tabernacles had ended. Do you know how it ended? Eight days during the feast, the city was illuminated by four giant candelabrias, these torches that held 65 gallons of oil, and they would light them, much like the Olympics, I mean, but even greater because it lit up everything. For eight days, you could see and know where you're going, and you knew those lights, and they signified so much. On the eighth day, when the feast was over, they would take those torches and they would quench them. Well, it did a couple of things. Number one, it signified the end of Feast of Tabernacles, but it also darkened the city. It was dark again. Eight days, you could walk around and say, what are you doing? It's a Feast of Tabernacles. And then it's like, oh, it's dark. It's dark again. Jesus wakes up, early comes, and he says what? He says to them, listen, I am, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Isn't that significant? The torches just go out, and he stands up, and he's like, I am the light. And people scratch their head going, wait a minute, you're not a, you're not a torch as high as the city walls. You don't have 65 gallons of oil in you. What are you talking about? Now, what does Jesus often talk about? He's talking spiritually. The problem is the Pharisees are blind. They're blind. The very light that should be illuminating them and showing them gospel truth is blinding them to the truth. The very light. Why? Well, in verse 13, they come back and they said, no, wait a minute. You're testifying of your own behalf. What you say proves nothing. You go, pastor, what did they say? They're saying, we don't believe you just because you, what? Just because you say doesn't mean it's true. Just because you're saying doesn't mean it's true. Here's the question we got to ask ourselves. Why, oh, why, oh, why are the Pharisees so upset? Why are they so hostile? You know, why are they tripping? Because they knew what he was claiming. You go, what was it? According to Psalm 27.1, Isaiah 60.19, Job 29.3, light was a title reserved for God and God alone. So when Jesus stands up and he goes, hey, I am the light of the world. Everyone, no, why? What was he claiming? He was claiming to be God. Right there. And it's, I think it's an important lesson for us, guys, because here, when we begin to share the gospel with other people, a lot of people will go, hey, wait a minute, Jesus was a good man, Jesus was a great teacher, I think he was a wonderful prophet, but he never in scripture claimed to be God. We say, no, no, nay, 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 nay. Yes, he did. He oftentimes claimed to be God. As a matter of fact, the whole book of John is pointing to what? Jesus is God. But they're not having it, guys. They're upset. They're going, wait a minute. Are you telling me that you're claiming to be God? Let's get him. Here's the one thing we need to understand, and I want to show you. The one thing I want you to grasp, guys, is the heart of Jesus. And you go, why? Because I think it's important for us to have the same heart. Wouldn't you agree? Well, what's his heart then? Well, I want you to think about this, right? They're hostile towards him. What do they want to do? They want to kill him. Right? They want it. They don't just want him to please go away. You're bugging us. Please. They want to kill him, but he's not hostile towards them. His heart, guys, was to win them to eternal life. His heart was to see every person saved. For God so loved the. Exactly. You guys are awesome. Right? 
Now, think about it. He could have been like, checkmate, game over, I win, please go away, we're not going to talk about this anymore. I am the light of the world. My father testifies of me, amen, y'all be gone now. He could have said that, but he didn't, why? He continues to dialogue with them so that they could see, quote-unquote, their spiritual blindness. They're spiritual. Guys, listen, we need to, listen, we need to have a heart for people. We don't need to just win arguments. We need to win people. Souls are at stake. And I want to have the heart of Jesus. Yeah, but you know what? These Pharisees, they were hostile toward him. They were mean toward him. They want to kill him. I mean, if somebody wants to kill me, I'm going to put up my dukes. I'm going to fight. Let's do this thing. No, but look at his heart. His heart goes, no, no, no. Let's talk a little bit more. Let's talk a little bit more. I am the light of the world. And they're in spiritual blindness. One commentator put it like this, guys. A seen man doesn't need someone to prove the light, right? If you have eyes today, you realize nobody has to prove to you that it's light outside. Have you ever argued with the sun? I'm not talking about the S-O-N. I'm talking about the S-U-N. Have you ever went outside and you go, it's not light out here, and the sun goes, "Uh uh-huh. It's very light out here. We don't argue with the sun. Why? Because it brings brightness. It gives us light. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Listen, we're not going to argue about this. They want to bring hostility in argument with Jesus, and he's just going to give them the facts, and, and he's going to tell them the word of God. He's going to tell them the word of God. There's a problem. You go, what's the problem? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. They go, no, you're not. And then Jesus says, by the way, listen, I'm going away. And he says, and you're going to seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. You guys remember those four statements? Jesus is talking to them. Now, I want you to focus for just a moment on what Jesus said, okay? Jesus looked at him and he said, I am going away. Now, you know they didn't hear that. Because if Jesus said, I'm going away, they would have said, oh, hurry up then. Get out of the temple, please. You know, leave Israel. There's a plane. Please be on it. They didn't say that to Jesus. They missed it. They missed it. Jesus also said, you will seek me. They didn't hear that either. Because you know they would have been very upset and said, we are not going to follow you or look for you anywhere. We're busy about our own religious business. And then Jesus said, you will die in your sin. And they didn't hear that either. The most important statement they should have heard, they didn't hear that. You know what they did hear? The last statement where he said, where I go you cannot come. That's what they heard. Now, here's what I want you to see. Blindness often causes you to miss the most important truth. Blindness will often at times cause us to miss the most important statements. See, they didn't catch at all that he told them that they would die in their sins. All they heard was, where I go, you cannot come. So we need to stop in the point of our Bible study, and we need to ask, what did Jesus mean? Because they missed it. I don't want to miss it. Jesus said, listen, you're going to die in your sin. And I go, okay, Lord, what does that mean? So I looked it up, and and from this verses, it seems like the phrase, die in your sins, means 
that a person will, upon his physical death, retain all the sin he has committed along with the consequences and punishment due those sins. When Jesus looked at him and he says, guys, you're gonna, it wasn't like, well, you're going to die in your sins, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, right? He says, no, you're going to die in your sin. You're going to physically die with the consequences and the punishment. And I came to set you free. I came to set you free. They're missing it, guys. They're missing it. See, here's, here's the rub. These men were the religious leaders. They were the go-between God and the people of Israel. Yet, they lived in darkness that filled their mind and their deeds. The darkness reminded them, right? It remained because they rejected the light. They didn't believe in Jesus. Jesus, you're going to die in your sins, guys. Please, please, please. And last week we left off with verse 30 that said, as he spoke these words, he said, many believed in him. Now, your attention, please. We have a group of people that didn't believe. They were blinded, okay? They were blinded to the light. But then you did have a group of many who goes, I believe, I believe. It's important we understand that word, believe. Because when we go, and many believe, they didn't just believe like, hey, we believe. How many of you believe the sun will come up tomorrow? We believe that. How many of you believe that the chair you're sitting on is going to hold you? We believe. We have faith. There's not a one of us who sat down like this. I don't know if it's going to, I don't know if I have faith. We just came in and we sat down. We believe. But Jesus is talking so much deeper. Because John employs the word that's used over a hundred times in this gospel. It's the word pisteo, right? And it's made up of three different words. You go, well, what's the first word? It means to have faith in, but much more than just believe, in respect to the person of Jesus Christ to put your trust in. So these people go, I'm in. I put my trust. But it's also made up of being persuaded to have reliance upon Christ for salvation, right? So when they looked at him, they said, that's, that's where my salvation is. But the last word this is made up is to be convinced with confidence. To be convinced with confidence. In verse 30, Jesus said, as he spoke these words, many people said, I'm in. I'm in. Now, think about this for just a minute, Okay. You guys know yourself. You know your personality. You know how, what you think. You know how you are. You know how you see life. Could we agree that there are some of us that are optimists? We got any optimists in here? You see life just, ex- you're an optimist, right? Right? How do you see life? The glass is half full. That's life. You're like, it's going to be okay. Let's go. Then we have what we call pessimists, right? I guess the rest of you who are an optimist are pessimists, right? I would assume you're like, no, we're not. Well, yeah, you are. Say, now you're upset. You see, you see is the glass half empty. The pessimist, Santos, come on, man. Minus one, this the test. Then we, have, then we have skeptics. You guys with me? Okay. You guys know if you're either an optimist, or I'm, not, I'm not here to determine that, but what I am here is I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. And I want you to think, picture yourself there with Jesus. You have this young rabbi who's traveling around with his disciples. You're part of his disciples. But the question is, is that would you 
with this young rabbi. You see him doing miracles. You see him feed 5,000. You're, you're, really, you're really watching him. Would you follow Christ back then 100%? Are you fully in? Or do you look at your life going, well, listen, Ben, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a skeptic because of life, and I might sit back and I might watch that young rabbi for a little while. I might have some questions. I might not say anything, but I'm listening to the Pharisees to say some stuff, and I'm going, I want to see how he answers. Or do you believe? Are you completely in? And, and, and I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, Lord, I, I want to be completely in. Listen, when it says, and Ben believed, that means I'm all in. I'm all in. And what that makes me believe, guys, is that when I get to heaven, although I have family, and I have friends that have gone before me, that are waiting for me, that are going to be coming, I'm looking for Jesus, because I love him. Listen, I'm going to have time to hang out. My mom's going to be there. My dad's going to be there. My sisters, all our relatives. That's going to be the most amazing reunion. But I believe so much that I am looking for Jesus. Do you believe that way? Do you believe it? Are you all in? A lot of times when you go to the pool for the very first time, you don't know how cold the water is. What do you do? There's some of us that go and they just jump right in. Doesn't matter how cold. I love people like that. I'm not one. I'm a toe dipper. Okay? Ooh. Ooh, it's cold. Come on in. The water's fine. You know, it takes some little splash a little bit on your head first and then, you know. Some of us are, are we jump in. Others are step walkers. You know what I'm talking about? Go down in this, let it adjust. Let it adjust. Okay. Right? That's what we do. And then eventually we're in, but the other people who have jumped in are having way more fun. Come on, we're in here. This is great. The point is, and I have no idea where the point is, but no, seriously. The point is, is are you in with Jesus completely? You jump in. These people believed. Many people there, guys, had put their faith in Jesus. They were persuaded with reliance upon him, and they were convinced with confidence. And that's my goal. That's my hope for you, that you walk this life persuaded, convinced, Jesus, Jesus. See, these people right here that we're talking about, they were... What? Think about it. They were not in the way, but they were in the way. Right? They're not in the way. They're not barring the truth. They're going, I'm in. I'm in. What do they believe? They believed that this young rabbi named Yahshua was God. That's the same belief that we need to have. That's the same belief. The power that he had, that's the same belief. That's the same belief. So what does Jesus do? He addresses them. Look at verse 31. Jesus turns to those Jews that believed, and he says to them, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And here's the result. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Will make you free. 
right? Think about this, guys. Jesus' first comment in 31 and 32 oozes with promise. Three things follow the initial if. Do you see that in there? What's that word? If, right? It's conditional. If you do this. If, yeah, he says, if you abide, that word abide means remain, steadfast, grow in God's word. If you do that, he says, you're going to be my disciples. Now, notice what he says. He doesn't say, if you abide in my word, everybody's going to be a Christian. Why? Here's why. Listen, every disciple is a Christian, but not every Christian is a disciple. The word of God should be growing in you. You should be remained in here. You go, well, what do I get, right? What, what happens? If you abide, if you continue in his word, he says, you're truly my disciple. You're my disciple. He says, and not only that, you're going to know the truth. And the truth is going to set you free. It's going to set you free. So we got to do some work, don't you think? Why? Because Jesus made a monumental statement. He says, he says he's talking about truth. What kind of truth is he talking about? And he's talking about freedom. Well, real quick, because we don't have a whole lot of time, what he's talking about truth, he's talking about gospel truth. And gospel truth does not refer to a philosophical idea or the opposite of something being false. The gospel truth is knowledge. Knowledge of God as revealed in Jesus' own self. You go, what does that mean? Knowing this truth is knowing God. Jesus, look what Jesus just said. He said, you will be my disciples. Everybody give me an amen. You will know the gospel truth. What will this gospel truth? You'll know Jesus. You'll know him and you'll believe. And he says, and by that you'll be set free. What does he mean by freedom? Jesus contends right here that without him, they live as slaves. They're not free. Even though he's there and he's unlocked the door, they're still caught in their slavery. Tell me what blindness breeds? Slavery. Slavery. How many of you remember a man by the name of Harry Houdini? We all know Houdini, right? Houdini was perhaps the greatest escape artist of all time. He broke out of every prison, every set of handcuffs, every straitjacket. That's why we called him Houdini, right? He broke out of every straitjacket that ever tried to hold him except one tiny jail cell in the British Isles. He couldn't break out of that. This simple cell stumped Houdini. You go, how so? Well, usually it took Houdini a couple of seconds to pick a lock, but for this particular one, he worked and worked and worked this innocent-looking cell door. For more than two hours, he could not get it open. Houdini scrambled with a furious pace and became more and more frustrated as his efforts proved futile. Finally, under utter exhaustion, he collapsed, and he fell against the door. Surprise, guess what happened? The door swung open. You see, it had never been locked. And you go, well, pastor, what's the point? Guys, the problem is that there's a lot of Christians today. They're trying to break out of a door that is no longer locked. They try with self-help books. Support groups, they've been to a psychiatrist, a therapist, a hypnotist. They tried willpower, pill power, positive power, and they can't break out. And they're frustrated when in reality, they're trying to get out of a prison, listen to me, where the door has already been unlocked. 
Wow, isn't that deep? Jesus says, listen, I'm here. And the door's open. And the door's open. Jesus says, you're already set free. And a lot of us are over here working. I'm just working, God, please. And, and I want to be set free. And I just want to, Jesus, like, oh, it's, it's open. Just come to me. Come to me. Just surrender completely. Completely. Well, all of us who are believers are just, wow, what a wonderful statement. Tears coming down our face. We're just wonderful. Why? Because we, we want to be set free. Because the world has a very interesting thing it does to us. It wants to put us in bondage. It wants to put us in prison. It wants to keep us with all our emotional hurts and our spiritual hurts and our physical hurts and all of these things that we go through. He wants to put us in bondage, and the Lord's like, no, it's open. You've just got to walk through. And we go, wait, don't, you have, don't I have to work at this lock a little bit? And he goes, it's unlocked. Oh, no, no. Listen, shh, Jesus, I got this. I got this. Hold on. Until we get utterly, what, frustrated. Well, guess what? The religious leaders decide to chime in. Verse 33 to 36, right? Their first statement is going to come up and say what? We are Abraham's descendants, right? So here's my question. Before we read verse 33 to 36, here's my question to you. What or where are you putting your faith and trust? Notice he says, then they answered him. Notice the they in verse 33. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Pharisees. They answered him, right? Who is he talking to? He was talking to believers. Now the Pharisees answers and they say, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. So how can you say, Jesus, you will, you will be made free? And Jesus answered. Now, I believe Jesus was a man of joy, so I think he smiled at him. And he answered and he says, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, again, think about it. What did Jesus just do? Jesus just unbelievably, with such compassion and wisdom, he just schooled them. And they should have, at this point, say, oh my goodness, that's so wonderful. Lord, tell us more about what it means to be free by trusting in your word. But instead, guess how they react? With statements. Where are, they, where are they going to fall back on? We are what? We are Abraham's descendants. We are Abraham's descendants. And, that, and I'm going, okay, so what, what are they saying? Well, if you have a pencil handy, you could say they are trusting in either religion or what? Heritage. Religion or heritage. We are descendants from Abraham. We are descendants from Abraham. Okay. So, because we are from Abraham, we're already saved. We don't need you, Jesus. We're, and I was thinking, wow. When it comes to religion, it's the same thing. There are a lot of people who will put their tent pegs so deep on religious affiliations that they miss the truth of who Jesus is. And you'll tell them about the Lord, and they will fight you tooth and nail based upon how they were brought up in what religion. And that's deep because God is showing us through his word that that's what they did even back then. Trusting in religion or even your heritage, church, is often due to being spiritually blind and is not in the way, but now is in the way. 
Well, what else did they say? Well, pastor, it looks like they said they haven't been in bondage with anyone, right? We've never been in bondage, but you, you just got to chuckle at this. Why? Because if you do a little bit of history, the Jewish people have been in bondage to Egypt, right? Refer back to the Exodus. They knew what Moses had did, that Moses was their, was, was their guy. But we've never been in bondage to anyone. Well, uh, excuse me, but we've got Egypt, you got the Philistines, you got Babylon, right? You got Persia, Syria. Now you're under Babylon, you're under Roman oppression. You go, what do you mean? Think about this, guys. As a matter of fact, right at this time, probably a Roman garrison was looking down on the Temple Mount. They were under, as a matter of fact, think about this. Do you guys remember in John chapter 6, verse 66, it said a whole group of disciples turned their back and walked with him no more? Part of that was because Jesus wouldn't feed them, right? They weren't getting a free meal. But a lot of that is because when Jesus came on the scene, they wanted him to build his kingdom by tearing down Rome. And they were so disappointed when Jesus died because he goes, wait, I thought you were going to, well, what do you, I thought we were, we're under Roman oppression and, and you said you were going to build your kingdom and look, you died on the cross. What kind of king are you? They were under, and it's so, it's so silly because they're standing up in front of all of us as disciples and they're saying, what? We've never been in bondage anymore. And you and I are going, yes, we have. There's a lot, and we're under bondage right now. But what is Jesus talking about? He's not talking about physical bondage. He's not talking about the Roman oppression. He's talking about spiritual bondage. Spiritual bondage that's brought on by sin. You go, how so? Notice what he says. He says, whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin. So he's, he's regarding it. It's like, oh, yeah. Now, if you were, if you were brave enough to put, cross your arms in front of Jesus and go, we don't sin. We've never sinned. Here's a couple of things that's happening. Number one, you're categorizing sin. I've never, and I remember doing this, right? I've never murdered anybody. I've never lied. I've never cheated. I've never, and we list big things. But we never, we never remember the small things. You go, what small things? Oh, think about it. I mean, attitudes, thoughts. You know, no, those are. I mean, do you realize that you sin when you break the law? So if the speed limit says 55 and you go 56, are you breaking the law? Is it a sin? Well, no, pastor, because nobody gets hurt. I mean, come on. I know that stop sign said stop, but I sort of did a California roll through. Are you breaking the law? But it's a sin, right? What does the Bible tell us? For all have sinned. That means you. That means me. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So he says this. Now, he says something very interesting. He says, whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin, and you and I go, guilty. What I find interesting is just a, a, a few minutes before all of this, they brought the woman who was caught in adultery. Do you remember that? And what does Jesus say? Hey, you guys who, who have no sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. And the Bible says that from the oldest being convicted by their conscience, from the oldest to the youngest, they walked away. So everybody knew they had sin. But he says something very interesting. He says this, um, a slave? You go, yeah. He says, it doesn't abide in the house. But if you're part of the family, he says, a son does. A son lives forever. You might be a slave and you're, you might get sold or something. He says, he says, but your son, 
Your son, your family is always welcomed in your home. Right? Could you imagine? Could you imagine, Lori, telling your son Noah, 18, you're out of here, bud. You're done. You're a man now. A son always abides in your home, doesn't he? He's always That's what he's saying. He's saying a slave won't. You know? But he says, but therefore, if your son, right, if the son will make you free, then you are free indeed. Here's a quick note. I love that Jesus doesn't argue with them. We're what? We're Abraham's descendants. Jesus doesn't go, nah. Right? Jesus, no, Jesus agrees with them. Look at verse 37. He says, I know you're Abraham's descendants. He says, here's the problem. You guys are trying to kill me. Why? My word has no place in you. Guys, do you see that in verse 37? My word has no place in you. Underline that. It's very significant. You go, what does it mean? Guys, it means that my word is not growing inside you. My word is not growing inside you. It was a funny the other day. Bob was painting the radio station next door, the gathering place. And I walked in on him to see how he's doing. And he was listening to another pastor. Could you believe that? I sat there. He had his phone on very loud. He didn't hear me come in. And I said, who are you listening to? And he said, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> well, well. I love the fact that, that we listen to people and we can grow and God's word is growing inside us. I teased him a little bit. You know how I am. But it was wonderful. He was listening to his old pastor from Colorado. Um, anyways, a uh, wonderful man of God. But here's the point. He was preaching God's word. And that's, and that's what he's saying. Jesus is going, guys, listen, I know, I know where you're from. He says, but you guys, look, look, what you're, look at the fruit. You're trying to kill me. And he says, and my word isn't growing inside you. And he says, I speak what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've seen your father. Oh, oh, who is he implying? Then they answered and said to him, notice, Abraham is our father. And then they start singing that song, Father Abraham. Admit, no, they didn't. I'm just seeing if you're awake. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham, Right? He says, listen, I know you're Abraham's descendants, but you guys are trying to kill me. What are, you, what, are you, what are you doing? What are you saying? And they say, Abraham is our father. And what are they trying to say? Right? Here's what they believed. You ready? They believed that Father Abraham, when he died, he descended to the gates of hell. And basically, his job was to make sure no Jewish person ever ended there. They knew that the fires of hell were created for Gentiles, but Abraham was going to stand at the gate and go, no, 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 you're Jewish, you go to heaven. And so they're claiming, Father, Abraham is our father. And Jesus is going to go, let's look at this practically. If Abraham was your father, why are you trying to kill me? Abraham never tried to kill anybody. He heard God's voice. He never tried to kill anyone. See, guys, listen, they're putting their faith and heritage, they're, they're, they're putting their faith in, in think about it. When they said, Abraham is our father, Jesus said, listen, if you were really Abraham's children, he said, you would do the works of Abraham. And then he, he solidifies that real quick. Why? 
Because we can think about it in our own lives. You go, how so? If we've ever had kids, don't they imitate us? Hmm? That's what he's saying. He's saying if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham does. If you were really his spiritual, and, and, I, and I think about this, right? I think about this. Now, listen, I love my wife and my daughter. But I got to tell you, out of all of us in the house, they talk the most. They do. There were times we'd go to dinner, and all two of my daughters and my wife, they'd talk, and I would never say a word. That's why I became a pastor. I had to, get, I had to talk somehow. But what I find interesting is my granddaughter, they can just spit another one more like them. She gets in the car seat talking. She talks all the way to McDonald's. She talks at McDonald's and all the way home. Why? Because that's exactly what he's saying here. He said, listen, if you were, if you were really his children, you would do those works. Right? We have three generations sitting in front of me. And I can tell you right here. One, the other one, the other one right there. But Jesus says in verse 40, guys, but you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. He said, Abraham didn't do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, notice, we were not born in fornication. We have one father, God. Okay. So the very last statement is they become very hostile, and they start attacking Jesus. How so? Because they said, we weren't born in fornication. You go, they insulted Jesus by saying, Jesus, we were born with a mommy and a daddy. We don't know who your daddy is. Do you guys see that? We were not born in fornication. You guys know what fornication is, right? Just in case you don't know, it's sex outside of marriage. Okay? So they're attacking him. They're attacking him. They go, we know who our father was, Jesus. We don't know about you. Now, what Jesus said really upsets them. They immediately say, no, Abraham's our father. And then it gets even worse because now they start attacking him personally. And their very last statement is what? We have one father, God. God. As we close, the worship team is going to come up and sing one last song. But I want to close with this, guys. And I want to share what, what, what Jesus just said. Jesus comes in and he comes declaring the truth, the truth of the gospel. Do you believe in him? You go, why, pastor? Listen to me. Listen. There's a lot of us who believe, but we don't believe in the person of Jesus Christ. We're not persuaded and we don't have that, that, that confidence that we're saved. We might believe, we might have a belief in God, but we, we haven't really jumped in the pool. Now, you don't mind hanging out at the pool because it's a great place to be. But those of us in the pool keep saying, come on in. Come on in. This is great. Now, here's what I can promise you. Jesus comes and he's telling you the truth. Okay? And he's begging you, please, please don't be like the Pharisees. Don't put your faith and trust in heritage. Don't put your faith and trust for eternal security based that you were born in Texas or you were born in the United States. Don't do that. 
Don't put your eternal security based on, on, on the fact that your, your grandfather was a pastor or your, or your daddy was a pastor or, or anyone at all. He says, put your faith in me. He says, please, listen, when it comes to belief, don't, don't put your faith in trust in that your sin is not like others. That you haven't lied or stolen or murdered or any of these big things. He said, we've all sinned. Don't put your faith. And don't put your faith in trust where you go, well, God is love. And if God is love, Mr. Christian, then he won't send me to hell. We have nothing to stand on. Jesus told us, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so that's the truth of the gospel. And so here's my heart to yours, if I may. Do you believe? Do you believe? Have you jumped in the pool? With excitement and joy, have you said, I'm going in, Pastor? Or, or today, are you at the side of the pool going, I don't know. I don't know. It looks kind of deep. Might be a little cold. It's okay for you, but I don't know. And today the Holy Spirit is knocking on your heart. And he says, listen, if you'll open up yourself and you'll jump in, I promise you your life will never be the same. He's going to come in. He's going to change you. And you're standing by the side of the pool. And you go, but I feel so far from God. I don't know if he hears me. Listen, you may feel like you're a million miles away, but you're one decision away to jump into the pool. But you've got to do it. Nobody can do it for you. You see, there's a lot of people that are by the pool right now, and they look like Christians. They look like believers, but they're not in the pool. And so what I'm doing today is I'm asking you, will you you jump in? If you're here today and you've never fully surrendered your heart to Jesus, complete surrender. Today's the day. Well, pastor, what do I have to do? In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do what? Just to join. Join the church. No, not join the church. Join the family of God by opening up your heart and he'll come in and he'll wash your sins away. And I promise your 2018 will be better than you've ever had the rest of your life. But you got to surrender to him. you got to surrender to him. What do I have to do? In a moment, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. If you want Jesus to come in and completely clean you and cleanse you, I have to do this. Why do I have to raise my hand, Ben? Because I want God to see your heart. Well, everybody's going to see me. No, we're going to have our eyes closed and our heads bowed, and God's going to do an amazing work. Well, Ben, what if nobody raises their hand? Then I can go to sleep at night going, God, you're amazing. You've saved all these people. That's awesome. That's awesome. But don't miss your defining moment. Don't miss your time with Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth in your word. And Lord, I've done my part, I've taught your word, and I believe that, Holy Spirit, you're doing your part. And so I'm praying with every eye closed and every head bowed, Holy Spirit, is there anyone in here that's feeling the weight of who you are and needs forgiveness of sins, needs to join? They've been in bondage, Lord, and the door is open, completely ready for them to step in. Lord, I commit this service to you. Holy Spirit, do your work. With every eye closed and every head bowed, is there anyone here that said, Pastor, i got to be honest with you. Pray for me. I need to surrender completely. I haven't jumped in the pool. I've been playing around the pool a little bit. 
but I want in. I want my sins forgiven, and I want to be set free. If that's you, will you just just lift up your hand? God will see you. Just say, Pastor, pray for me. God bless you, sister. God, good move. Anyone else saying, I want to be, I want to go to heaven. I want to be set free. Just lift up your hand so I can see you. No one else will see you. God will see you. Is there anyone else? God bless you to my left. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Father, thank you for these hands that were raised and we give them to you. Lord, do a work. Forgive us of our sins. We believe in you, Lord. We confess with our mouth. Save us, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.